Welcome to episode 440 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a politically astute conversation with union leader and organizer, chair of the PA Democratic Progressive Caucus, member of the Pennsylvania Democratic Executive Committee, and our resident politico, Dwayne Heisler. We discuss voter registration, disenfranchisement, rural organizing, dividing the opposition, donors, the big lie, municipal elections and their importance, Stacey Abrams, among other things. A great conversation with Dwayne Heisler this go-round. We have an EWSA titled European Ethnic. We share an excerpt from Aldous Huxley's essay titled In the Dark, published in 1936 by Harper's Magazine, and oh, it is still prescient. We have a poem called Play. Of course, all of this will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 440 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Thank you. 
fitting in, of reflecting and wondering if you are not a good person, that perhaps you do more harm than good, that you don't do what you should, so feckless and reckless without rhyme or reason, those you work with don't know the season, they speak treason, are all about status and egocentric pursuits in the guise of community activism and genuine roots to help the wayward and poor and destitute. While I sit back on this old wooden chair and cynically demure, irresolute, I'm just a European ethnic whose day in the sun has passed. Now into the bombast of payback. Get the check, cracker man. Hit the heavy bag in your basement room where old issues of National Lampoon are strewn. Across the duct-taped coffee table, you snagged from the curb the night before garbage day in your neighborhood. The community college taught you about this phase of life, these psychological states, how your obstinate ignorance slowly perpetuates the feeling of an empty existence and alienates your wife. And the booze with tobacco-rolled organic leaves you wheezing with a headache and bloodshot eyes. Such man-made strife. Are you waiting for a hopeful statement or some vigorous drum and fife to play between those sighs while your back gets hairier and the loneliness compounds in your soul and between your thighs. Your hearing echoes into a din as you reckon with original sin, and innately you know there are no more lullabies. I'm getting on in years. My phone's on vibrate for you. God knows what all these new drugs do. I guess to I always end up in tears 
Hello, Dwayne Heisler. Is that you? Yes, this is Dwayne Heisler. It's so nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again. I am so excited to be here, and I would like to wish you a happy National Voter Registration Day. Today is National Voter Registration Day. As we speak, yes, September 28th. That's, that's right, as we speak. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We're going to talk about that Today, uh, I'm sure, and a, about a few other connected issues. Uh, for for those who don't know who Dwayne is, he's a regular contributor here. He's a union leader and organizer with SEIU. He's chair of the PA Democratic Progressive Caucus. He's a member of the PA Democratic Executive Committee and our resident Politico. So... Things going all right? You having a good stead as of late? Well, I wish I was happier. I, I wished you a happy National Voter Registration Day, but I wish I was a little happier. And it's it's really hard to celebrate National Voter Registration Day when it's so obvious how our democracy is under attack. We have these voter suppression laws and all these things happening in our country. And so... Um, but I know that there's a lot of good things going on as well. And um, so that, that helps me uh, a little bit. <laughs> Democracy under attack. You're talking about laws in various states uh, like Texas, for example, uh, and many others, unfortunately, uh, that uh, trying to, to disenfranchise. A lot of others. And in fact, um, well, you know, I, I'd like to maybe just take a, a step back. Um, it may seem like decades ago, but I'd like to just go back to the 2020 election cycle, right? Um, where I know I came away from there. I did all kinds of work with my union, with uh, progressive groups I was involved with, with the party to kind of brainstorm like why it was as close as it was. And I know 
um, like in certain states, like it, it was it was close. And, and why was it like that? And I in, in Pennsylvania, you know, specifically, I was looking at our down ballot voting. I was looking how Biden was running against Trump, but Trump was really running against all Democrats. And what impact did that have? Um, also, we had changed how we vote with straight party tickets that was done away with. Um, and then how the, the Democrats and Republicans kind of split their tickets. I was thinking about things like messaging, like what was going on. I'm going to bring us back to that moment where we were talking about all the messaging around vote by mail. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then there was defund the police. There was a talk about socialism taking over. Um, uh, there was how we were engaging and organizing in the Latino community, rural organizing. One thing that I really wanted to focus on was was how white women were voting, especially rural white women. And then there's voter registration and how like Democrats and Republicans do different work around voter registration. Uh, Republicans do a lot of voter registration by mail, which is very effective, but very expensive. And Democrats tend to lean more towards the in-person kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's, I, I kind of joke, how many times do you see a stand set up by Republicans to register voters? You see Democrats doing it all the right. time. Um, but during the pandemic, uh, there's a little bit of a disadvantage there. And <laughs> sadly, in Pennsylvania, that was felt with the number of new registered uh, Republicans versus uh, Democrats. And that was definitely something that needed to happen. And then there was the whole process of banking votes through vote by mail and all of that. So with all of those things in mind and bringing us to this current moment, um, you know, there are efforts not only to erase voting rights, but trans rights and abortion rights for millions of people. And it is escalating throughout the country. And you mentioned Texas. Well, uh, the fact is, is that there's been in the recent years um, over 400 anti-voter bills have been introduced in 48 states. This is according to the ACLU. I did a little bit of research here. I, I, call me old-fashioned. I think voting should be as easy and as accessible as possible. But these bills are set up to basically erect these unnecessary barriers for people to register to vote, to vote by mail, to vote in person. It's just really across the board. And what it results in is is a severely compromised democracy that doesn't truly reflect the will of the people. It's amazing. And as you said, old fashioned, you know, we talk about uh, the uh, former inhabitants of the White House. He and his ilk are always talking about making it great again. Uh, you know, <laughs> It wasn't it great when people actually thought they maybe could vote, uh, although there's always been problems with voting in this country for, for certain groups of people, for sure. But now it's being actively more so, I think, than history would, would just show us it has been maybe ever, you know, except for those certain communities where it's always been, like people of color, uh, for, for example. It's really... It, it's ironic is what I'm trying to say. You know, make it great again. You're trying to make it worse than it ever was. <laughs> well, I agree. You know, and, and the fact is, is that a democracy works best when all eligible voters can participate and that their voices are heard. But these suppression efforts, I mean, they sometimes they might even seem kind of unobstructive. Like, but 
when they're when they're put into practice, these these strict voter ID laws, um, the cuts to early voting, the the mass purges of voter rolls, and and just systematic disenfranchisement, which which you talked about, where these measures just disproportionately impact people of color, students, the elderly, uh, people with disabilities, like, and, and guess what? Guess how all those folks vote, right? <laughs> right, by the mail or. Uh, well, for, for example, you know, this last cycle, you know better than I do, the mail-in system, because of the pandemic, really helped the Democratic uh, candidates, right? And that's why well, they want to get rid of it. Well, yes. I mean, there's there's a reason why the opposition, why the Republicans are pushing so hard to disenfranchise people from voting. And it's because they they can't win. Right. They can't win without actually like restricting the vote, and they'll do it under the guise of of, uh, of fraud. But time and time and time again, we they 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 actually tell us that that's not why they're doing it. They get caught telling us the reason why they're doing it. But here's something else: even long before the election the election cycle begins, you have legislators who are redrawing lines and determining what the weight of your vote is. I think that people should decide who gets elected and not elected officials deciding who gets to vote for them. Right. Well put. Gerrymandering, I guess, basically you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's just another piece to this puzzle. Um, and, I, and I can't really think about National Voter Registration Day without thinking about all of these things. Um, and, you know, when I mentioned how it disproportionately impacts people of color, students, elderly, people with disability, when you, when you look at those votes, many of those are Democratic votes. So, you know, they line up perfectly with this plan that Republicans have to undermine our democracy. They are so while while they're doing where they're doing all of this, they are shoring up their own base so that they can maintain power because this is the way that they can do it. And that's that's what it's all about. Is that it's just power, you know, and, and they want to maintain power because they are fearful of of what? Do you know? Have you gotten a a handle on that? Well, that's really interesting. I think there's a, a lot of reasons that go behind, like, why are they doing this? Well, first of all, I think the number one motivating factor for an elected official is to get reelected. And so you don't need to look very far to see the motivation behind how they vote and what they vote for and who their donors are and how, because that's part of it too, right? It's not only how they are voting, but it's how their big donors, um, how their interests are being preserved, right? Right. And and the op and, and of course, how can we divide the opposition? So they divide the opposition by saying things like fraud. They divide the opposition by saying that this was an illegitimate election. It's the big lie. It's the big lie over and over and over again. Because when we actually do the audits, we find out that they lose by even more, right? Right. <laughs> or, or that it was the Republicans who were cheating, which is incredible, <laughs> you know, in the few cases of fraud that you find. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's it. I mean, it's really about maintaining power, staying in office, making sure that they are serving where the money is coming from, right? Who are their donors? Where, where are they cashing in? that kind of thing. Well, you know, it, when when you look at uh, the fact that the demographics are changing in most states, 
um, or many states. Uh, why won't these folks then that want to be in positions of power just shift to those voters rather than stick with this dwindling demographic? Do you think? They, yeah, do- that's, that's that's a fair question. Um, I don't know. I think people tend to resist change and. Um, you know, if, if they've been elected for, you know, 15, 20 years or whatever it is, are, are, are they going to change that formula? Maybe they'll go with some new dynamics. Maybe they'll they'll shift it up a little bit, you know, mix it up a little bit. But these these changing to voting rights are, are happening all over the country. In fact, this year alone, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, Wyoming, Montana and, of course, Florida, Arizona, Georgia and Texas have all seen more restrictions on these voting rights. Um, And I just read in, I got a a message, it was in the paper today, and I haven't dug into it yet, but Pennsylvania is gonna try to become uh, a member of that list by having some kind of constitutional amendment that's going to restrict voting. That's the next thing coming up. That's heinous. It really is. It really is. An and, amendment and, to the PA Constitution, so in the end, to restrict voting rights. Yeah, because they can't get around a governor who like will veto it. So, And here's the, the history of that. Um, it is very, very rare over the last decade. I don't even know if it's happened at all. Anytime there is a referendum on the ballot, it gets, first of all, it gets worded by whoever's in control of our legislature. Guess who that is? Republicans. Republicans. So they word it in such a confusing and misdirecting way, um, which doesn't help the voter who sees something and thinks, oh, okay, that sounds right. And so I I don't know if if over the last 10 years there's ever been any any, uh, constitutional amendment that's been rejected. That's Um, been rejected. And we're talking about in PA. Yeah, Pennsylvania always votes yes for them. So I can guarantee you, when they put this in the um, uh, in the referendum, that they will make it so that if you vote yes, you accept these voter restrictions. That's it, how they'll do it. It'll be worded in a way where you almost are directed to vote yes. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That's how, that's how they'll do it. And yeah. so, and 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 that's how those things pass. That's how those things get done. Um, you got to get the word out about that, Dwayne. I know, well, it was just in the paper today. <laughs> I have to digest it a little bit, see where it's going. I don't think they're going to be able to do it until maybe 2023. I'm not quite sure. No one wants to muddy things up for 2020 because, of course, we have the the Senate, the House up for grabs. We have the governor, um, you know, up for grabs too. Um, so th- there's all of that. But you know, what? I don't want to get too far ahead because we have an election in November too, right? Right. And one of- things that stops these things are good judges and courts right and um and that's what's in front of us now so i would encourage everyone in fact i'll tell you what i did yesterday um i had a doctor's appointment and um i wasn't in the waiting room that long but i got into the room to wait for my physician to come in and while i'm sitting in the room i was thinking about oh i'm going to be on this podcast tomorrow like what else can i talk about okay we're we're talking about like it's national voter registration day and i was like oh my gosh you know what i didn't register to vote by mail this time even though you check off the little box that you want to have it every time you still have to kind of renew and say send yeah. it to me and so while i was waiting for my doctor and it took all of maybe three minutes three or four minutes um i actually got online and registered so that i can receive or requested my vote by mail ballot for uh, for november that's great so, 
It is great. It is great. And you know what? Before Wolf, Governor Wolf came into office, we didn't even have online voter registration. It was waiting in the wings. Corbett didn't want to make it happen. And so as soon as Wolf came in, that was one of the first things he did. He allowed us to, to join the modern decade and allow us to actually register online. Thank you, Governor Wolf. Yeah, I, I like I like him. And he's going to be going, as you said. And, uh, you know, what do you think our chances are? You know, I know we're talking about judges. You're talking about November. That is very important. And, and I guess that's the case across the country. I, I shouldn't sw I, we shouldn't shy away from that. Most most states are doing the same thing, right? They're voting for judges and, and the like right now. It's a big yeah. cycle. I call them opportunity years. I hate the word off years. It's ridiculous. Like we talk about how our engagement with uh, with voters or with potential voters when registering voters with different communities is very transactional. And then we we say every other year is an off year election <laughs> and, and, and the funding's not there to do it and all those kind of things happening. I call them opportunity years because it's an opportunity not only to elect judges, but all of the local officials who are who really touch your life on a daily basis. It's the people on your school board who teach, you know, who help determine what gets taught to your children. It's 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 the municipal, the local, the local municipalities, you know, everything from like fixing the pothole to picking up your trash to all of the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And I consider myself an opportunity voter. I'm an opportunity voter because I take the opportunity to make sure that I elect people who reflect my values on a local level and uh, and take advantage of that. Um, and if you'd like to join me, you'll help because the fact is, is that, you know, proportionally, we usually have lower turnout in these years. And so your vote's worth even more. So I challenge you to join me this year. Sign up to vote. Vote by mail if you can. Um uh, and and take this opportunity to elect those local officials who are your neighbors, they are in your community, um, and uh, help to spread the word about that. You know, I, I knock on doors all the time. Gosh, I mean, in one cycle, I knocked on over 5,000 doors. When you do that, you know who your neighbors are. Mm -hmm. Knocked on over 5,000 doors. And um, when knocking on the doors, it was so surprising to me how many people said, oh, I didn't realize that there was an election. Wow. Well, well, guess what? There's an election every six months. It's a primary and then a general election. Every six months, we are electing someone. Uh, so um, there's a lot of work that needs to happen out there. Um, uh, and it's not all education. Well, gosh, it, it's beyond education. I don't want to, like, blame the, the potential voter that they don't know. No one's born knowing what date, you know, election day is. No one. And in fact... Right now, we don't even know in the future what the lines are going to be like and who we're going to be able to vote for because they're all going to be redrawn with the census and everything. So so it's it's not about blaming someone. They're undereducated. It's about just just making our democracy function and giving people the tools that they need to be active in our democracy so that, you know, our, our collective values can be raised up and not the values of the few like large corporations and donors who make their donations uh, based upon maintaining power and, and all of those things. I went off there on a little tangent. No, that was good. I, it sounds like you're getting uh, tons of messages there too. Yeah, you're, you're, you're an active individual in the community as, as a, a, a leader um, in, in many, many ways, union uh, and, 
throughout the Democratic Party in the state of Pennsylvania, and I suppose it spills over into other states. And I know you also have a lot of um, connections and and influence with uh, the federal leaders, um, in particular from PA, and of course I'm sure that spills over in, in the Senate and the House. Uh, you drove around President Biden when he was here. I remember you told us that beautiful story when he was campaigning for president. He gave you a box of donuts at the end of that oh, road trip. It was cookies, and cookies. he told me, hey, these are really good. And I have to tell you, he was right. Like It was raining, and there I was with a tray of chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, really? Is this how this is ending? And and, and, and I was like, what should I do with this? And then I ate a cookie, and you know, it was really good. Uh, he was right. Um, but something that you mentioned about being involved and, and being involved with different groups. I'm also involved with, with quite a number of progressive groups. I am the chair of the Progressive Caucus for the PA State Dems. But there's a new group that I'm involved with, and I'm so excited about their work. And it really has implications nationally because it's all based on the work that was done in Georgia. Stacy. Stacy Abrams, yes, yes. The She's like Georgia. a hero of mine. I love her. Oh, my gosh. The New Georgia Project, the Fair Fight Georgia, both of those organizations founded by former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Um, both of them played leading roles in changing the Georgia electorate by registering voters and enabling just a historic uh, just historic Democratic victories in 2020 to uh, from the presidential election and securing the majority in the Senate, like where we would be without that work. And so there's a new organization in Pennsylvania. It was founded in May of this year, May 2021, called the New Pennsylvania Project. Um, and uh, I, I just want to lift this up because their goal is to make sure that Pennsylvania's expanding electorate actually uh, reflects the the Commonwealth's uh, demographic changes in in population, and so their mission over the next four years is to engage and empower young people, young residents, um, or or those that are living in underrepresented or often neglected communities of color or immigrant communities to register them to vote, to provide the education that's needed, so that not not only like voter education, but education is on issues that matter in their neighborhoods and to mobilize them to vote every six months, you know, that twice a year. So that's really exciting. And I encourage our listeners right now, if you're excited about that work in Pennsylvania, a swing state that we absolutely need in order to make sure that we are we have a fully functioning democracy, I urge you to go to the newpaproject.org. That's N-E-W-P-A. P-R-O-J-E-C-T, newpaproject.org. You can go there and find out about the organization. You can actually make a donation. You can help lift up, up lift this up. And I am specifically calling out to our friends in New York and California, where everything is a little bit more secure than it is, you know, in Pennsylvania, to come on and dig in, help us get this done, and go to newpaproject.org, make a donation, and help us uh, make sure that we secure Pennsylvania's vote going forward to help protect our democracy. Well said, well said. And also, I mean, if you're listening, I mean, we have people listening all over the, the country. You, We were inspired, obviously, by what happened in Georgia here in Pennsylvania. Uh, Dwayne and his colleagues, his peers, your state maybe doesn't have this sort of organization. You can start one too. You know, voting rights, community cohesion from one state to the next, from one county, one community, one parish, whatever the organization is in your state, 
is so imperative for us to have a, a truly representative democracy and a vigorous, thorough discussion of the challenges and issues we face as citizens of the U.S. So, you know, this is for all of us. We're all learning from each other. We are all in this together. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your zip code is, what state you live in, what you look like. Um, none of those things. I mean, it doesn't, none of those things really matter. I think that the the idea of the American dream is to have full representation. I mean, go back to the Boston Tea Party, like taxation without representation. It's a fundamental value of being American to make sure that you have the right to vote. If you are eligible, you should be able to vote and no one, no one should make that more difficult. And if they are doing that, that's one of the most un-American things that anyone can do. Well said. Dwayne Heisler is our resident politico here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, union leader with SEIU, organizer as well, a chair, the chair of the PA Democratic Progressive Caucus, member of the PA Democratic Executive Committee, and I guess a founding member, an organizer with the New Pennsylvania Project. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, um, yeah, I just started this year. I'm on their advisory board, and I've already helped them to do some events. Like, for example, today they're in Harrisburg registering voters. I helped to coordinate um, some of uh, – we just did a voter registration drive up in um, uh, in Scranton, up in, uh, um, in Lackawanna County. Um, to kind of draw attention to this. We had a bunch of students show up there, which was just fantastic. And tomorrow, I'm actually speaking at the Latino uh, convention, the state Latino convention in Reading, Pennsylvania. It's interesting because 70% of our Latino population is all in this 222 corridor, which includes Reading. It's like uh, the Lehigh Valley, like Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, down into Reading. And then it curves all the way over to... uh, uh, to uh, Harrisburg and down into York and Lancaster, like that whole area. That's where most of our population is. And uh, and of course, with this falling, uh, you know, uh, the day after, there's voter registration there. And uh, we have partners like Make the Road and, um, and other groups that are, you know, lifting up registering voters um, in, in the Latino community uh, today and yesterday. Um, uh, so... It's it's very exciting work, um, and you know you said it earlier. It, it it really is not hard to get involved, and if anyone's having a difficult time and not knowing how they can get involved, I'll be happy if you even want to reach out to me, Dwayne Heisler at gmail.com. Just send me a message. I'll get you hooked up. We'll figure it out. Um, but even if a, they're not from Pennsylvania, even if they're not from Pennsylvania, we'll figure it out. We will. You know, we'll find the resources that are necessary to plug people into this work because it's about all of us. It doesn't matter, like I said, where you live, what you look like. We should all be embracing the American dream, which is about making sure we have a fully representative democracy. But there are those people today, right, that we're talking about who seek to divide us um, because they want to maintain power, because they want to um, stay in office, because they are bowing to their uh, corporate donors, right? Uh, And while they're doing that, they are, you know, dividing us. They are actually running to the bank and cashing their checks and and staying in power. But I believe that through organizations like the New Pennsylvania Project and and like these different groups that operate uh, throughout the whole country, that we can come together and 
have that part of the American dream maintain, actually be a fully functioning democracy. And I'm doing everything that I can to help with that. Excellent. And let me, in the last few minutes of our conversation, let me just ask you some quick, quick questions. So far, you know, how is, and you give me quick responses so I can ask you a, a few. Uh, Biden, how's he doing so far? Oh my gosh. He, I think he's doing an amazing job. Um, I Right now, there's those two bills in front of us, and I know he's digging in with those. Those are historic, the the um, uh, reconciliation bill and the um, infrastructure bill. It's a lot of hard work, but if we can get these things um, um, out there, it'll, it'll be the biggest change to our country since the New Deal. And um, it's incredible. You know, I work with healthcare, what it would mean to home healthcare workers and to their patients right now, if your mom or your dad or your grandparents want to have um, a skilled home health care nurse at, at home, you have to get on a waiting list. You may not be able to get someone because it is so poorly paid. And this is in that bill. The whole idea of like looking at eastern Pennsylvania and looking at the rail system from Scranton to New York or from Allentown, Bethlehem and Easton to New York or tying in Reading through the Norristown line and, and connecting it with the with the seaboard. I mean, what that would do economically for us, uh, the the child child tax credit. There's just so much. There's so many things. And and um, and so oh, I was supposed to keep it short. So <laughs> no, no, I was going to ask you about those actually, too. I was going to ask what so you thought about the bills. He's doing great. Yeah, he's really weighing in on these things. He is doing what he says he's going to do. He's walking his talk, and um, really pleased. Um, I, in fact, I, I, he may even be a little bit more progressive than I originally thought he was. And he was right about the cookies too. Yeah, that's why you like him. I think you got a bias because of those cookies he gave you. I'm not sure, uh, but uh, in all seriousness, Dwayne, you do important work, and your energy is intoxicating. Your insights uh, as, and your guidance on these very complicated issues is, is very valuable. Uh, do, and I appreciate you coming on regularly to talk about what you know, what you're experiencing, and what you're thinking. Um, do you think these uh, bills will pass? Wow. If I knew that, like... Uh, your gut. Uh, what does your gut tell you? What, what is, my what gut you... tells me we're, we're going to get this. I'm not quite sure what the final form is going to look like, but I think we're going to get it. And the reason why is because it's too important to the American people. We are we are coming out of a pandemic. We are trying to avoid like, um, you know, an economic disaster and collapse. And we all know that we have just infrastructure. We have crumbling bridges. We have all the things. So um, I think it's going to happen. Not quite sure what it's going to look like, but I have faith that we're going to get this done. I can tell you got people calling you. You got a lot of work going on. I'll let you go. Dwayne Heisler, thank you so much. And we'll be talking with you again soon. Until then. Keep up the, the fight and keep up the good work, sir. Thank you so much. And uh, remember to get out there and vote. Remember to register to vote by mail. And uh, give us a holler if you want to get more involved. And go to newpaproject.org, make a donation, and let's get this done. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you.
Now, an excerpt from an essay titled In the Dark by Aldous Huxley, published in 1936 by Harper's Magazine. All over the world, thousands upon thousands of men and women pass their whole lives denouncing, instructing, commanding, cajoling, imploring their fellows. With what results? One finds it rather hard to say. Most propagandists do their work in the dark, draw bows at a venture. They write, but they don't know how far they will succeed in influencing their readers, nor what are the best means for influencing them, nor how long their influence will last. There is, as yet, no science of propaganda. This fact may seem the more surprising when we consider that there is something not far removed from a science of advertising. 
Advertisers claim to know accurately enough the potentialities and limitations of different kinds of propaganda, what you can do, for example, by mere statement and repetition, by appeals to such well-organized sentiments as snobbery and the urge toward social conformity, by playing on the animal instincts such as greed, lust, and especially fear in all its forms, from the fear of sickness and death to the fear of being ugly or absurd to one's fellows. If commercial propagandists know their business so well, why is it, then, that political propagandists should know theirs so badly? The answer is that the problems with which the advertisers have to deal are fundamentally unlike the problems that confront politicians and moralists, and political propagandists are also moralists. They invite their readers to repress their cravings and set limits to their egotistical impulses for the sake of some political cause, which is to bring happiness in the future. Others demand no personal effort from their readers, but do demand their adherence to a cause whose success will save the world. The first has to persuade people to do something which is on the whole disagreeable. The second has to persuade them of the correctness of a policy which, though it imposes no immediate discomforts, admittedly brings no immediate rewards. Unlike the advertisers, then, political and social propagandists are generally quite uncertain as to the kind of effects they will be able to produce upon their readers. Propagandists themselves seldom admit this fact. Like all the rest of us, they like to insist upon their own importance. Moreover, there has been a tendency among historians and political theorists to lend support to their claims. This is not surprising. As professional writers, historians, and political theorists are naturally prone to exaggerate the significance of literature. Rich men and politicians have a fixed belief that if they can control the press, they can control public opinion. They buy up newspapers, partly in order to make money, but mainly in the confident hope of being able to persuade the electorate to do what they want it to do. But, in fact, they fail just as often as they succeed. Propaganda by even the greatest masters of style is as much at the mercy of circumstance as propaganda by the worst journalists. Ruskin's diatribes against machinery and the factory system influenced only those who were in an economic position similar to his own. On those who profited by machinery and the factory system, they had no influence whatsoever. That is, propaganda is most influential when it is a rationalization of the desires, sentiments, prejudices, or interests of those to whom it is addressed. A theology or a political theory may be defined as an intellectual device for enabling people to do in cold blood things which, without the theology or the theory, they could do only in the heat of passion. The energy developed by the prevailing passions of the masses is given a direction and at the same time 
strengthened and made continuous. Sporadic outbursts of feeling are converted into purposive and unremitting activity. The theory may, of course, be completely absurd from a scientific point of view, but this is of no importance so long as men believe it to be true.
play. Grass, yellow, sun, autumn, blue bench, fall into nothing, but glory of self. And I know that the organ I hear is echoing from Edgewood Road. She tickles it every day. And the children play football while climbing trees in the park until dark.
And there you have it. Episode 440 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Dwayne Heisler, writer Aldous Huxley, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Dr. Lonnie Smith and Iggy Pop, Rufus Wainwright, Joe Tolos, Led Zeppelin, Coco Rocco, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.